Welcome to the Temple Forum, a podcast from First United Methodist Church in the heart of Chicago. Here we welcome a diversity of voices and conversation about how we live in the world as people of faith. Hello, I'm Jan Engmeyer. During the COVID pandemic, we've heard about the healthcare heroes at our hospitals with the doctors, nurses, and allied health professionals who are on the front lines taking care of patients. But you know, there are other professionals providing comfort and care in hospitals every day who may not receive as much attention, hospital chaplains. This installment of the Temple Forum podcast features a conversation with Reverend Dirk Lubushain, a chaplain at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago and the chaplain division leader in the Coleman Palliative Medicine Training Program at Rush. Originally from South Africa, he's an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church USA. Welcome to the Temple Forum. Thanks, Jen. I'm glad to be with you. Well, please tell us about your role at Rush University Medical Center. What does your typical day look like knowing that there's no such thing as a typical day? And I'd also like you to talk a little bit about the difference between palliative care and hospice care. Sure, um, I'd be glad to do that. Um, so I am a chaplain, as you said, at Rush. And um, at Rush, we have both a chaplaincy department. That is kind of the home base, if I can call it that, for the chaplains who um, work at Rush. And um, that department has both um, students who uh, are receiving training uh, to become chaplains, and then there are also staff chaplains who are assigned to different units uh, in the hospital. But then we also have a, a couple chaplains who are based with different kind of units, um, and in this case, kind of outpatient settings at the hospital. So um, one of them is at the Road Home Program. That is a, a program for veterans uh, who receive care at Rush. And then I am with uh, what is called supportive oncology. Um, and that is um, in the cancer center. And I have a bunch of colleagues who, um, uh, who are very caring and work very diligently to support kind of holistically the patients who receive treatment uh, for cancer. So um, it's me and uh, there are psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists, dietitians, acupuncturists, massage therapist um, um, and and a typical day for me um, you know quite varies but for the most part I uh, see patients both uh, in person or uh, over video or the phone and then we also run a, a support group so um, one of the support groups we do is called the meaning centered support group, and it's based on the work of uh, Viktor Frankl, uh, the Holocaust survivor and psychiatrist. And um, it's pretty structured, and it, it introduces different sources of meaning um, to help uh, patients, um, especially patients whose cancer is more um, advanced, to um, make sense or find some some source of meaning as they go through the challenges uh, that they go through facing cancer. Um, so supportive oncology has some connections with palliative care. So I appreciate you mentioning uh, the palliative, 
palliative care training program. So, um, you know, we found that it that some of the skills that palliative care uh, professionals have are really helpful um, in in just navigating all the different challenges that one might face uh, with a with a progressive or life limiting illness. And that some of those skills or most of those skills are actually quite helpful for other professionals to have as well. So that training program um, focuses on providing uh, what we call primary palliative care skills. Um, and so let me maybe first just say or address that question that you had about the difference between palliative care and hospice. So there, there are definitely some overlap. So um, both of the, the services would focus on improving patients and their families, oftentimes improving their quality of life and um, alleviating uh, any symptoms that they might have, especially a symptom of pain. But then where it differs is that um, palliative care uh, can be, can, is a service that can be received at any point um, after a diagnosis. Um, and it can be paired with uh, receiving uh, treatments at any point during the course of uh, the treatment uh, trajectory, whereas hospice has more of an end-of-life uh, kind of focus. So normally it is um, um, uh, patients who has a prognosis of six months or less um, qualifies for hospice care. Um, and both of those services can be received um, in a, um, at home or in a in a specialized kind of um, a center, um, like a inpatient treatment uh, center. And it's wonderful that those kinds of um, care and concern for the patient are are available and for their families as well. It's not just for the the patient. So, tell us a little bit about your research interest. Um, you're looking at uh, spiritual assessment tailored to the interdisciplinary team concept. What does that mean and how does that help the patient and their family? Yeah, so the, the interdisciplinary kind of context is what is so unique about palliative care. So um, similar to what I highlighted about support of oncology where, where there are all these different disciplines who come together, each with their own skills and um, unique perspectives, providing the best care possible for patients. And um, that's similar to the palliative care context, where there are physicians, nurse practitioners, social workers, and chaplains uh, to bring all of the, the kind of best of all of those disciplines together uh, to provide care to patients. And so um, when we as chaplains enter that context, we want to be sure that we provide information to the rest of the team that is helpful for the work that they need to do. So um, palliative care is great in giving uh, a chair at the table for, for chaplains, knowing that especially when um, patients deal with um, acute pain or um, you know, worries about um, having a life-limiting illness, their own kind of coping mechanisms or their own belief systems, uh, faith, spirituality, or religion come into play. And um, us as chaplains want to be sure to be sensitive to um, different kinds of issues that might come in in that sense. Uh, so if some patients might have concerns about 
um, the illness being a sign of God punishing them, for example, or as they get closer to end of life, maybe having concerns about the afterlife. You know, all of those things are uh, things that we as chaplains are trained to address. And then we want to be sure to kind of um, translate it in such a way or document it or assess it in such a way that the rest of the team kind of has an understanding of what, what's going on with the patient. So that's all to say that that that's um, spiritual assessment model um, that I'm interested in. And, and actually, we uh, I was part of a team that created an assessment model like that uh, called the PC7. Um, is really sensitive to that dynamic, to be able to capture things in such a way and communicate it to the rest of the team that we can um, all work together to make sure we care for the patient in the best way possible. That sounds great. Because um, sometimes, you know, the um, healthcare team just looks at the body, right? And and you have expanded it to include their mind, heart, and soul, right? So um, Yeah, absolutely. What is it that uh, we don't know about hospital chaplains that we should know and understand? That's a great question. And um, I'll probably, I can probably say a lot of things, but I, I think I will start by saying that chaplains are not only there to provide care to folks who might consider themselves religious. Uh, we are definitely there for uh, for those folks, but we're also there for people um, with faith or with no faith. Um, more and more, we've been working with a definition uh, of spirituality um, in trying to describe what we focus on. And two kind of concepts in that definition is important. The one is kind of connection. So whether that's connection to oneself or to nature or to one's community or to a higher or a higher power or whatever is considered sacred. Um, and then also meaning and purpose. So how, how patients or the families make sense or find meaning um, in that challenging experience of being ill or being in the hospital. So those two things like meaning and connection are things that we are trained to support patients in. And I think if you hear that kind of those two notions being highlighted, that's that could be, or most of the time is for people who are religious, but it could really be for all human beings. I feel like all human beings might have some sense or some need for some of that. And um our training is so focused on being sensitive to all the dynamics that are present in the room, being sensitive to ourselves and um, the things that we might find ourselves feeling, spending time with a patient. And, and so when we enter the room, when we're there to support someone, it will be with such uh, compassion and empathy and sensitivity to the patient's situation being sure to create a safe space where they can voice whatever is going on with them uh, and have it heard with the compassion that and the respect that it's uh, needed and that it um, deserves. And um, so rarely do we kind of 
speak into their situation in a, in a way that might be kind of directive. It's more really there to kind of um, create that space for the patient to access their own resources, their own kind of um, value systems, belief systems to help them make sense or find comfort in that kind of challenging experience. So I know sometimes still when I enter the room and someone sees uh, that I'm a chaplain, you know, if it's on my badge, they might have this kind of response of like, oh my goodness, this might mean I'm dying or something like that. So there's still these kind of like uh, traditional connotations to what a chaplain does. And I would want to say, you know, we do so much more than that. And please make use of us. Like most most hospitals that I'm aware of would have a chaplain there 24-7. And sometimes if there's just a time you need to when you need to talk with someone or just maybe wants some company or please reach out to your chaplain. I trust that the care and the support you receive would be quite meaningful to you. Right. How did you get interested in this field of ministry? So I originally planned on or felt called to uh, become a, a parish minister or parish pastor. And during my uh, seminary training uh, at McCormick Theological Seminary, I did a summer of uh, what we call CPE. So that stands for Clinical Pastoral Education. It's the kind of typical chaplain training that that some denominations require their pastors or future pastors to go through, but that you will receive kind of more intense training if you want to become a chaplain. And and that first unit of CPE I did at a retirement community in Hyde Park called uh, Montgomery Place. And it was just life-changing for me. And, you know, the kind of things we focused on, the the work we did, uh, we did it in a group with other students who are also training, the focus of of growing your own awareness or self-awareness, kind of coming to terms with your own issues in order to really provide the kind of support that people really need without our own kind of issues taking over. That kind of perspective was just so intriguing to me. And everything I learned not just helped me in the work that I was hoping to do, you know, in churches at the time, but it also helped me in my personal life. And I just thought that I want to do more of this. I want to learn more. And and that kind of took me on the path to receive more chaplaincy training. I did my residency at Rush. And that just really set me on this path to become a chaplain. So so in a sense, I want to say maybe some of those, some of that motivation felt a little bit selfish because I was like, I want to learn more about this. I want to learn more about myself. But ultimately, when I look back at it now, I realize that all that learning is really what brought me to this point where I can really give back and, and really use all of that, what I've learned in serving the patients and the families and staff here at the hospital. So I'm really, really thankful for it. That sounds great. You, know, you must deal with some of life's most difficult situations. You're meeting people at very vulnerable points in their lives. Um, and it has to have some impact and effect on you. Um, 
what or who or I don't know what 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 inspires you? What keeps you going? Yeah, I. It's true that there are challenging moments, and oftentimes entering those really painful, vulnerable moments of of other people do kind of trigger our own kind of pains or 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 wounds, if I call it that, and. And, you know, I think what really helps me is knowing why I do this work. So kind of staying connected to my own sense of purpose and calling. My own faith is so valuable, knowing that for me, the work I do is connected to what I believe about God and the way that I try to share God's love that I've received in the work that I do, whether that is in words or through actions, trying to bring that light and that hope into the spaces that I enter, and knowing that I'm not alone in doing that work, that God is is supporting me and guiding me in doing so, and that I have um, dear colleagues and a dear um, community in my own church and my family who are really there for me and um, supporting me in this in this work I do, you know that is that is very powerful and and life giving. And then I I do try to take care of myself. So getting exercise, being out in nature. I love the Morton Arboretum. I try to go there as often as I can. Listening to podcasts, to poetry, the things that I feel like really. Uh, is life-giving and supports that kind of work. And then I f- feel like I have to say that it's also important to say no to things, yeah. um, to kind of be mindful of of what is draining or what feels too draining and when I need to say no, when I need to kind of take time to recharge. So those kind of boundaries, I think, are important too. Boundaries are important. <laughs> <laughs> We we all need that lesson. <laughs> Is there anything else that you would like to add that we haven't covered? No, I I can't think of anything else. I I'm thankful for this opportunity to um oh thankful that you all wanted to highlight the work that chaplains do, and I am continually amazed to work with colleagues that do incredible work and. And especially during the pandemic, there were so many kind of stories that highlighted the important work that chaplains did, bringing connection, bringing hope. And I, I feel honored to be part of that group. Marvelous. Well, thank you, Reverend Dirk Lubushain, for telling us about your chaplaincy work at Rush University Medical Center. I'm Jan Engmeyer. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Temple Forum. You've been listening to the Temple Forum from First United Methodist Church in Chicago. You can find more conversations like this online at chicagotemple.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us again soon.
I'm Jan Engmeyer. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Temple Forum.